Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but educate, teach, and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Styles are always changing on the Wall Street fashion show. But it sure seems like the senior growth stocks are suddenly back in vogue. I'm talking about the stocks of companies that deliver like clockwork. The ones that make you feel like a dope for parking your money in index fund because they perform so much better than the rest of the S&P 500. So on a fabulous day for the bulls, where the Dow roared 177 points, S&P vaulted 0.68%, NASDAQ came 0.58%, in part because there's still one more story about face-to-face trade talks in China next week. You know what this action reminds me of? No, not the 2000s, where stocks routinely blew up. Not the past decade, where we've rallied kind of pretty steadily. Not even the run-up to the dot-com apocalypse in 1998-1999. No, aside from the run in the semiconductors, which benefit from any sign that the trade tensions may settle down, today's move is actually reminiscent of the beginning of the great bull market. That's right, of the 1980s, the first huge bull market. Yep, we had the same winners now as we did back then, when the United States transitioned from an industrial economy to a post-industrial economy. And it was a big deal for Merck to surpass Ford or GM in size. This morning, we heard from a classic consumer packaged goods company that has struggled mightily in recent years, Kimberly Clark, and it blew away the numbers. The makeup of Kleenex had 5% organic growth. That's extraordinary. But that's not even the most impressive part. What matters to me were the gains in the emerging markets. Listen to what the CEO, Michael Su had to say on the conference call. In China, organic sales were up double digits compared to a soft performance last year. In diapers, our net price realization was helped by reduced and more targeted promotional spending. All right, so let's translate this into the language you and I know. In other words, Kimberly Clark spending less and making much more. Oh, boy, that is a recipe for printing money. It's not just China. In the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, their organic sales were up about 10%. Continued strength in Vietnam. Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe, that, up 20%, about 20%. Driven by double-digit volume growth and positive pricing because of terrific new products. That means Kimberly Clark raised prices and nobody balked. While Kimberly Clark's stock gave up most of the gains after we got positive news on the trade talks in China, I cannot overemphasize the importance of this development. When I worked for Goldman Sachs in the 80s, we used to recommend these senior growth stocks routinely because we knew the developing world was becoming increasingly wealthy, increasingly middle class. So they wanted better diapers, better toilet paper, better tissues. Now these emerging markets countries are richer than ever. And thanks to relentless innovation and good online marketing, Kimberly Clark is back on top. No wonder the stock's been okay. Although with an aging population worldwide, it's less about selling huggies and more about selling. Depends. Of course, it's not just the rest of the world. Kimberly Clark put through multiple price increases here in America to cover the rising raw costs. Do you know what? Those price increases stuck, but now the raw costs are falling again. Thanks to lower commodity prices, which translates into better gross margins. Let's see. Higher sales, uh, higher prices. 
lower input costs, incredible demand from emerging markets? It's like we've hopped into the Wayback Machine to the 1980s. I bet we get some analyst converse to, the, to Kimberly simply because the stock had an intraday reversal. Whenever you met a client who owned Kimberly Clark or thought about it, you know what you'd immediately recommend? Hey, how about some Coca-Cola? KO, knockout, we used to call it. KO for the same exact reason you recommended Kimberly. It worked great for years, but then it peaked in 1998. As senior growth stocks went out of style. Money poured into tech. Now Coca-Cola is back, and it is back. Big CEO James Quincy has reignited the business. This man is money. Coca-Cola had 6% organic growth in a lot of its businesses. It's a huge throwback to the 80s. The company's talking about gigantic secular growth in developing countries again. They represent 80% of the world's population, but only a quarter of the commercial beverage market. We thought Coca-Cola was saturated overseas. Nope, they opened more than 750,000 new outlets in Asia alone this year. Believe it or not, a boring old company like Coke has once again become an innovation machine. Almost a quarter of their sales come from newer, reformulated products, up from 15% just two years ago. The smaller format soda cans are working. Same goes for the Coke energy drink. The Coke brand itself had its highest volume growth in 10 years. 10 years. No wonder the stock rallied 6%. Both companies have roughly 3% dividend yields. Both of them are able to buy back huge quantities of stock as opposed to the tech companies, which usually offer stock. It might as well be 1985. Forget the Wayback Machine. This is Back to the Future, part two. Before you hop into the DeLorean, though, remember, this is still the same old rotating market. There's not enough money in equities to move the whole market at once. The rally in these classic senior growth stocks come at the expense of high flyers like Fang and the Cloud Kings. Witness the pullbacks of Adobe, VMware, Salesforce. That's a big difference from the 80s when Kimberly Clark, Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, Colgate, PepsiCo, Merck, Shearing Plow, Pfizer were the real growers. And the tech companies like Motorola, Texas Instruments, and IBM took a back seat in terms of growth. Although Texas Instruments reported an awesome number this very evening. But I think there could be more money going the way of the Cokes and Kimberleys because this very evening we also learned that the Justice Department is investigating the giant tech companies like Apple and Amazon, Alpha, Facebook, see if they're stifling competition. Now, this is a change of heart from the department, which had been a staunch defender of these companies' abilities to compete globally. But now they will have to face scrutiny that could stifle their own creativity. That's my view. I don't mean to be too cavalier, but you know what? Ultimately, this is going to prove to be a buying opportunity. Why? Because the wheels of justice grind so slowly. So what does the reversion to the healthy consumer packaged good stocks today, what does it mean for the market? What does it mean for you? First and foremost, you finally, you've got some fallback stocks. Some very good stocks to fall back on if this market stumbles. As freight costs and commodity prices keep coming down, as advertising becomes cheaper thanks to more targeted digital ad buys, the gross margins for these companies will continue to expand. Normally, I'd be worried about encroaching private label brands, the knockoff merchandise, so to speak, but it just hasn't happened so far. It's on all the conference calls. People, wait, 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 it hasn't happened. Because the consumers feel in flush, they're staying with the name brands, particularly all that innovation. Second, if the Fed does cut short-term interest rates, these consumer packaged goods stocks will have even more competitive yields versus the CDs that so many of you have, have been hiding in. Third, remember, these are slowdown stocks. If we get a weaker economy, as people keep saying, they're still going to be able to make the numbers and the shares will become a lot more attractive. Fourth, Coca-Cola and Kimberly are addicted to returning capital to their shareholders via dividends, via buybacks. If the companies keep putting up fabulous results, I think management will be tempted to boost their payouts and the repurchase. That's fantastic. Fifth, on any breakdown in the trade talks with China, which I expect, don't forget these two companies do tons of business in the People's Republic. They're not the most obvious China plays. They'd absolutely benefit from any progress here because progress makes it less likely to be tariffed. 
uh, or boycott it or even ban into oblivion. Don't think it'll happen, but trade talks go well, you'll make money too. Finally, even though their stocks have run a great deal, Coke more than Kimberly, Wall Street still hasn't really gotten behind them. Actually, he's kind of fought the increase the whole way. I do expect multiple upgrades from both these names, even though they've run tremendously of late. This is really the first quarter where these consumer packaged goods companies have the, the wind at their backs. They've been raising prices repeatedly to offset the rising raw costs. But for the most part, that barely covered the increase in commodity prices. Now those costs are coming down. But the prices you pay at the store, uh-uh. They're not going. They're not going down. Boom. Instant margin expansion. Their targeted ad spending via Alphabet or Amazon or Timo or Facebook lets them reach the right audience for less money. It's all falling into place. Can you imagine if the dollar ever went down? So let's stop complaining that stocks have run up too far too fast. Let's stop with the endless parlor game about whether the Fed's going to raise or not cut or raise this or that. I don't give a darn. The bottom line is that these consumer packaged goods stocks haven't run that much versus the tax. They have incredible pricing power, vast untapped markets overseas, and terrific dividends. If I'm right that this is like the 1980s all over again, it means the likes of Coca-Cola and Kimberly Clark have a lot more room to run. I want to go to Phil in New Jersey. Phil! Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Booyah. Back in, back in June, Amazon uh, launched its juice uh, store for professionals. When that announcement came out, Alta stock plummeted. I saw an opportunity. I purchased Alta at $350 tar, uh, price. Since then, the stock has been trading in a range and has barely moved up. Its earnings are around the corner. Is this a good stock to keep or should I sell it? Uh, no, I want you to own it because they've got the best loyalty program in the country. And loyalty program is you can read from the Starbucks release they had today. There's nothing like a great loyalty program. It's absolutely fantastic. I would bet on Mary Dillon. If the stock gets hit, just buy more. The company knows how to handle even Amazon. All right, people, we are seeing a return to the 1980s growth today. So stop complaining. And stop talking about the Fed. And let's settle in to companies that are doing a real good job winning in the supermarket, the grocery store. Oh, my buddy, tonight, Disney is powering more than just the movie theater box office. I'm sitting down with the CEO of Hasbro, best stock in the whole market today, to see how it's reaping the rewards. Then there's a snack attack on Wall Street. But which company could come out victorious? Because I'm focused on these 1980s group stocks. I will be comparing Mondelez with Hershey. And one Shark Tank superstar is teaming up with Chase to help young entrepreneurs. I know Jamie Dimon is getting behind the guy. He told me so himself. Don't miss my exclusive with Damon John. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps.
If you had any doubts about the spectacular turnaround at Hasbro, Best Breed Toymaker, today's terrific quarter should put them to rest. The last time the company reported in April, the stock exploded higher as it became clear that they'd finally put the inventory glut caused by the liquidation infamous liquidation of Toys R Us behind them. Well, this morning, Hasbro did it again. The company delivered a magnificent 28-cent earnings beetle for 50-cent basis. I than expected sales and fabulous margin expansion. How'd they do it? Hasbro has spent years investing in its business. At times, those investments weren't popular, but now they're all paying off. They have tons of franchise brands, Marvel Comics, Star Wars, and those did big numbers. Anything Disney tie-in is fantastic. Same goes for Nerf and Play-Doh. Hey, no wonder the stock fall were almost $11 or nearly uh, 10%. Hey, by the way, Magic the Gathering... I think, is the one to watch. It keeps gaining momentum. I think Hasbro's stock has more upside, even with the stock hitting a new all-time high today. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Brian Goldner, the chairman and CEO of Hasbro, to learn more about this awesome quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Goldner, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? All right, Brian, I want to start because we're very uh, changing a little bit in, uh, in, in 2019, talking a little more about what it takes to be a successful business person. You came on in the darkest moment where people were saying Hasbro must be never going to be able to get out of this Toys R Us problem. And you said, have faith. How did you have faith? How did you know it was going to work out great? Well, we have a great team, a tremendous team focused on garnering proprietary consumer insights and reinventing and reimagining our brands constantly. We could see that we could grow our franchise brands and, and add new elements to our business and we've done that. If you look at our franchise brand growth in the quarter, and we believe in our franchise brands like Magic the Gathering that uh, grew substantially in the quarter, we've continued to reinvent that business. We've added Magic the Gathering Arena. We focused on storytelling around Transformers, and Transformers was up in the U.S. and year-to-date is up. And we uh, produced a recent movie, Bumblebee, and had our home entertainment window early this year. So uh, from strength to strength, we're seeing Play-Doh grow. And we believe in our brands. We believe in our partners' brands. We saw great contributions from Marvel. But it's really about a management team that's been together, that's very focused on the North Star, which is creating the world's best play experiences, constantly both uh, reinventing our brands and investing for future growth. Now, you've got a number of things about to unroll. You've got October 4th. It sounds like a, a triple play coming, triple Friday. You've got subscription video going your way. You have Nerf Fortnite. These are all going to occur within the next, say, six months? Yeah, Nerf Fortnite launched in the U.S. We've already seen Nerf point of sale go up and be positive for the first time in a couple quarters. We're rolling Nerf Fortnite out around the world. We have new innovation coming uh, for Nerf in our lower price points with great innovation and a proprietary innovation coming at the end of the year. You're going to see that uh, we have in the fourth quarter from the Walt Disney Company an amazing array of entertainment. Triple Force Friday, as you mentioned, from Star Wars. We're going to back a number of different initiatives around great product there. And, of course, Frozen 2 coming October 4th is the merchandise date for both of those. And then for our brands in the third and fourth quarter, Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, you're going to see a number of announcements. We have two more mythic events coming for Magic, both tabletop and arena for the remainder of the year. Our esports business is getting traction. Uh, Our last mythic event, we were the number two viewed uh, product on Twitch. And so we're really seeing that momentum in engagement and monetization and our fans and gamers are really enjoying what we're offering. 
at the same time, you took advantage of that balance sheet and you stepped up the buyback in the darkest moment. You got a lot of stock very cheaply, didn't you? Well, we've continued to buy back shares over time. We've bought back more than $2.5 billion worth of shares over time, and we continue to do that opportunistically. We've raised the dividend in 15 in the last 16 years with the support of our board of directors. You know, we believe in returning excess cash to our shareholders. But first and foremost, we believe in investing in our business for the long term. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I know you believe in playing with purpose and that that has been able to get you some people who might have gone to another company or two if, they, if you did not play with purpose. Talk about that. Well, look, we, we really believe in a diverse work, workforce. In fact, today in front of our entire company, we added inclusion as one of the values of our company. We feel very strongly in the passion and integrity, creativity, and community that we build as we're building the world's best play experiences. You know, that's what, that's what this is all about. We want to make sure we're able to attract and retain the best talent. It's a great competition for talent. We're all over the world and in several very competitive markets from Seattle, Washington, where Wizards of the Coast is. We have our studios in Burbank, California, and we want people to feel that they can make a difference. You know, our mission is to make the world a better place for children and their families, and people really take that to heart. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the world because the last time you were on, you were not happy with international. There was a very big swing in international this quarter, wasn't it? Yeah, there is. There's great pickup and momentum we're seeing in Europe. Clearly, Europe was the most problem, uh, troublesome area for us. And we've seen the momentum coming back into Europe. We're not all the way there yet, but we're seeing it rebuild. We're seeing the profitability come back. And we're seeing growth in several markets. And, and we believe that with the new capabilities that we've onboarded in online and omnichannel, and this new array of customers that are leading the charge in Europe from Amazon to Detsky Mir to Smith's Toys, you're really seeing the, the, the traction in our business take hold. We'll launch Nerf Fortnite. We're just now launching Power Rangers, which is our new IP we acquired last year, into that market and around the world. And we see that as a full year 2020 uh, tailwind for our company. So we, ha- we have a lot of great initiatives going into the European business. Asia Pacific grew. We grew in China. Latin America grew a bit year to date. But we see more for that market and for that region uh, for the full year. So, again, we feel like we felt early in the year that we would return to profitable growth this year and we could return to that medium-term growth trajectory we had seen from 2012 to 2017 prior to the Toys R Us situation. Now, Brian, some people doubted you that you'd be able to shift. You had so much in China. You've uh, done things with alacrity. 67% last year sold news came from China. You were lowering that by year-end 2020. How do you do that? How do you change the supply chain? Everyone says it's so hard to get out. Well, you know, we have a tremendous team working in our Far East operations and around the world in our supply chain. And we've continued to look at new places to produce product. Uh, We do believe by the end of 2020, we can be down below 50%. I should say that 20% of our revenues in the U.S. do come from U.S. manufacturing. You know we do everything third party. We've added India. We've added Vietnam. And we'll continue to add new geographies and step up. But I would also say China will continue to be a great place to produce product, a safe place to produce high-quality product for our global markets but we will drive differently for the U.S. market to ensure 
that we can bring the best high-quality product to the market all around the world. Well, congratulations. You stayed humble the whole time. You stayed lean the whole time, but you stayed tough. That is Brian Golder. He's the chairman and CEO of Hasbro. What a guy and what a stock. Man, money's back after the break. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. Right now, there is a fabulous bull market in snacks, a bull market led by Mondelez and Hershey, both of which have exploded higher in recent months. These are both great companies, but because I'm a big believer in diversification, I don't look too kindly on owning two stocks in the same industry, as you know, from when we play in my diversified. Not if you're trying to manage a portfolio of five to ten stocks in your mad money portfolio, right? Uh, because if you own more than that, doing the homework while you're holding is going to tar- turn into a part-time job. And by the way, you'd be a mutual fund. Think of it like this. Think of it like the movie Highlander. There can only be one. So if you're only going to buy one best-of-breed packaged food stock, which of these two snacking kingpins should it be? Mondelez or Hershey. Now, I've recommended Mondelez repeatedly in recent months. I think they have a terrific handle on snacking with an extensive portfolio of brands like uh, Nabisco, uh, Oreos, Chips Ahoy, Toblerone, Nilla Wafers, Trident Gum. Hey, let's throw in some other gum here. Let's throw in Dentine, uh, Tate's Bake Shop, my personal favorite, among many other brands. It's been a big winner for us. Then last month, we highlighted the incredible transformation of Hershey, which has gone from a company mostly focused on candy, like chocolate, to a more diversified snacking play, thanks to a series of brilliant acquisitions. Stocks already run so much that I told you to wait for a pullback before doing any buying. Turns out I was too cautious again, as Hershey has tacked on another nine bucks since then. Practically in a straight line, but that's highly unusual, people, though, as you know from the top of the show, these stocks are working. So which of these two is the best snacking company and which is the best snacking stock? You know they can be different things. These are both incredibly well-run companies. Under the leadership of CEO Dirk Van Vanderput, Mondelez has turned itself into a lean, mean, money-making machine. Hey, we spoke to him in May. He told a very compelling story. They're snacking well because it's a lifestyle change. Consumers are more on the go, they eat more out of home. Uh, millennials particularly don't really want to sit down and have a big meal. They, they want to sort of fuel themselves and they eat seven times a day. And so snacking is really uh, growing as a, as, a, as a habit and also the market is growing as a consequence. Yeah, I could be a millennial now and then. Anyway, in other words, the snack food. Why does my wife like that so much? I don't like the almonds. The snack category is on fire because millennials have some crazy aversion to a- eating actual meals. And Mondelez has been leaning into that shift in consumer taste. Meanwhile, the company's got a huge international business where they're very good at tailoring individual products to what people like in each particular market. If you go to Italy, you stop in Italy, road stop, it is just mountains of Mondelez. Mountains! They've got Toblerone cabins! 
Now, for many months, uh, we've been hearing that Mondelez was trying to buy Arnott's. That's a baked goods brand from Campbell's Soup. But last month, they walked away. Hey, you know what? I'm glad they did. It shows that Vander puts discipline. He's not going to overpay. Two weeks later, the company bought a majority stake in uh, Perfect Snacks. That's a major player in refrigerated nutrition bars. You know, perfect, right? This one's still tiny, but the nutrition bar category is growing. I love that the staff actually have in the refrigerator and it's cold. That's very thoughtful. All right. How about Hershey? Under the leadership of CEO Michelle Buck, who is just uh, completely under the radar screen, uh, this thing has caught fire. Just like Vanda played at Mondelez. Now, she took over in 2017. She's diversified away from candy via a series of mid-sized acquisitions, namely Skinny Pop and Pirate's Booty. I love this stuff, okay? These deals have breathed new life into the company's once stagnant growth rate. Meanwhile, she's cut costs and she's gotten more aggressive about expanding overseas. Although Hershey is still heavily concentrated in the United States. Wow, they got a green field overseas, though. Lots of runway. Like I said, they both got great stories. But okay, how do they stack up against each other quantitatively, which is what I want to teach you how to do. Let's go through the major line items on an apples-to-apples basis so you can do this at home. First and foremost, we care about revenue growth. That's why these two stocks have outperformed the rest of the package food space. They've got great growth. Last year, Mondelez delivered 2.4% organic revenue growth, which accelerated to 37 in the latest quarter. Going for the analysts are looking for just 0.1% net revenue growth uh, this year, with that number picking up to more like 3% in 2020 and 2021. Now, that may, may not sound like much compared to the turbocharged growth uh, you're now getting Coca-Cola, as I mentioned at the top of the show, but they good, consistent numbers. People like that. Hershey. Last year, they delivered just 0.3% organic growth, although that accelerated to 1.9% in the latest quarter. Going forward, Wall Street's looking for about 2% net revenue growth annually through 2021. This is a tough one. Mondelez has the better organic growth in recent years, internally generated growth that doesn't come from acquisitions. But when you look at total sales, Hershey wins. While we normally look at these numbers on a constant currency basis, meaning we adjust for foreign exchange fluctuations, you need to know that Mondelez is getting crushed by the strong dollar. They get 75% of their sales from overseas. Hershey gets 84% of their sales from the good old United States. As long as the dollar stays this strong, I think Hershey wins on growth. However, if we see a major pullback in the greenback, that will, which we sure have, and it's as strong as ever today, that will give Mondelez a gigantic boost and put it in the lead. All right, how about margins, what they have left? Both companies, if they sell, both companies have been very good about controlling costs in the last few years, though Hershey delivered substantially more margin improvement. Whether you look at the gross margin, what they make after the cost of goods sold, or in the operating margin, the percentage of sales that are left over as earnings before paying interest or taxes, boom, here we go. In terms of earnings, Hershey and Mondelez have had pretty similar profiles historically. However, this year, Hershey has pulled ahead. In the first quarter, they posted 13% earnings growth versus 5% uh, for Mondelez. And for the full year, the analysts are looking for 7% growth versus 3% for Mondelez. On the other hand, Mondelez numbers are expected to accelerate to 7% in 2021, 2020 and 2021, while Hershey's may slow to about 6%. Still, this is another one where I have to give the edge to Hershey especially since this is really important. It's got all the analysts who hated this stock switching to buy. Their main competitor is a private company called Mars. And Mars just put through a 9% price increase on single-serve chocolates. That means Hershey can keep raising prices, too. Again, like at the top of the show when I said these companies have pricing power. While Mondelez has some chocolate exposure with Cadbury, which is a really, really good brand, uh, chocolate is still Hershey's core business. This is Cadbury. I like Kebra. All right. How about overall quality of the recent acquisitions? Last year, Mondelez snapped up Tate's Bake Shop. Now, uh, this makes delicious 
crispy cookies. And guys from um, Monos, you can keep sending us those. They send us to them all the time. I love it. Now, this was formerly known as Kathleen's Cookies for those who spent a lot of time in the Hamptons. Hershey picked up Skinny Pop, okay, and Pirate's Booty. Who wins? Again, I... I have to give the edge to Hershey. Now, don't get me wrong. I love, love, love Tate's Plus. Okay, I had, more importantly, a wicked, unrequited crush on Kathleen herself. But Hershey's recent acquisition have allowed themselves to diversify into whole new categories, whereas Mondelez didn't really diversify here. They made, uh, they already made cookies, right? I mean, come on. Uh, although it's sacrilegious, I think, really, to even uh, include Tate's in the same category as the humble Oreos. By the way, completely requited love, if you want to know the truth. Overall, I think Hershey's pretty clearly a superior company, although not by a wide margin. But, boy, the analysts are so negative on it. One by one, they got to go buy, 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 from sell to buy. What about the stocks? While they have similar dividends, 1.9% for Bond Lease, 2% for Hershey, again, not as good as the two stocks I talked about at the top, Kimberly or Coca-Cola. They're very different valuations. Bond Lease sells for 20 times next year's earnings estimates. Hershey sells for 24 times. Mondelez is actually a little cheaper than the average uh, packaged food stock, which is strange given how it's got superior opera. Hershey's is great, but it's much closer to getting the high valuation it deserves. Plus, both companies are reporting very soon. And I think Mondelez has the better setup going into earnings. Hershey has caught a series of upgrades in the last month that I mentioned as analysts catching up. Stock has rallied more than 25% since last I reported. When we hear from them on Thursday, I suspect it will be hard for the stock to rally. Mondelez, on the other hand, reports in a week, and it's up less than 8% since the last quarter. I'm liking this one. So who's the new king of snacking? Bottom line is that Hershey is the better company. But that's already baked in when it comes to their stock. Given how much Hershey stock has run, I feel much more confident and comfortable buying the stock of Mondelez here. But if Hershey sells off despite reporting good numbers later this week, you got to be ready to pounce. Let's go to Sandy in Kansas. Sandy! Hey, a big booyah from Topeka, Kansas. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Right back with, at you. With the recent changes at Canopy Growth on the CEO, are you still optimistic on that? I am, but remember, the whole group is under a lot of pressure. It still remains Canopy's number one and Kronos is number two. But GW Pharma is the one that people want because that's the one that the FDA is blessing. And they're not cutting a break to Canopy. Wow. All right. Sometimes, sometimes it just doesn't come together. Hershey is looking at us for like a snack right now. It, it, it sells off. You've you got to be absolutely ready to pounce on this one, okay? Monolith isn't a bad buy either. All right, much more mad money up. The man, the myth, the shark. Tonight, Damon John from Shark Tank is lending his entrepreneurial eye to help spot the market's next hot trend. So come on in. The water may be fine. They're looking for a guru in this market. I'll tell you why it might be time to think again. And the lawyer calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. your TV on after our show ends every day. I highly recommend it. You've probably seen your fair share of Shark Tank episodes. I love Shark Tank. It's helped spark a whole new wave of small businesses in America. And this summer, Damon John, the entrepreneur, fashion designer, and best-selling author, and boy, his books are good, you may know as the People Shark, is taking his advice on the road in partnership with Chase for Business. We attending a series of conferences across the country. He's already started doing this stuff. He's giving advice directly to, the, to you, to the people. 
Well, we, we got to hear more about this. So let's have the man himself speak about it. Mr. John, welcome back to Van Money. All right. Thank oh, you. David, you Feels are like just I'm a joy. Feels you like are I'm a joy home. to have one. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, one of the things that you talk about, and I think that people don't get, the success of business, and I'm sure you're yeah. saying this with Chase, you're the hardest working person in showbiz. I try to be. I try to out-hustle everybody else because somebody's waking up trying to, you know, eat your lunch tomorrow. So. And that's something you teach. So is <laughs> yeah. that part of your message for Chase for Business? Yeah, I think so. You know, I started working with Chase a long time ago. And, um, you know, I realized the brands I like to work with invest in people and they help fund people as well as educate people at the same time. And today's brands, they, they educate you. And when you are smarter at the water cooler Monday morning because something you learn from that brand, that's when a brand's successful, when somebody's talking about the brand when the brand is nowhere around at the moment. Well, That's I what like, they do. But you, you are the brand, right? That's one of the things you teach us. Yeah. You are personally the brand, absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons I work with them is when I was starting out, I didn't know what a banker did. I didn't know who my banker was, right? And I think that as an old establishment, such as Chase and a lot of the banks, they're changing the way things are done. They're going out to meeting the people. They have a Chase business truck. They're, co- they're, they're having consumer uh, trade shows where people are coming and seeing like-minded people and finding out what is about finance? Do I need money now? Do I need money then? What, what kind of structure should I have? And I think that's important because I was too intimidated to walk into the bank when I didn't have any money and start asking questions. Well, I think that if we follow you uh, and follow you on Instagram and read your books, we do get an idea. On Instagram, you had quite a great note. Uh, you talked about how basically don't quit your day job. No. You want to do something great on Shopify? Yeah. Do not quit your day job. Not, and you speak from experience. Yeah, I worked at Red Lobster for five years while I was starting FUBU. I rented out every room in my house to a bunch of people so I could pay the mortgage. And listen, I just worked 20 hours a day. That's it. Some on Red Lobster, some on FUBU. But you know what? After five years of $30,000 uh, you know, uh, uh, a year in Red Lobster, I still made $150,000. I had my medical covered. I was taking home all the shrimp and eating them. And you know what? I would have to do $2 million in FUBU to come away with that same amount of money. And trust me, I didn't do that. Um, but I found all the problems in the business, and I kept my day job. And thank God I'm You didn't here. do too many schooners, did you? No, no, yeah, not at all. The scooters, they can put you under very not quickly. All. all right, no, i got to drill down with you because yeah. one of the things that we've been talking about behind the scenes is the notion of empowerment. Chase yeah. wants to empower you. Sure. So does Shopify. You're I an ambassador Shopify. for I'm an ambassador Shopify. Shopify as well. Help people because that's something they can keep their day job and maybe get started on their own business. Listen, I don't, I don't like to invest in any stocks that if they went away, they wouldn't disrupt my life. And the way that I look at something like a Shopify is that today with retail suffering and everybody has a dream of being a, a, an entrepreneur, right. an entrepreneur, they can put up a store immediately. But Shopify also shows you how to process information. Right. I've been an ambassador for years where they connect me with people. And I have advised them, and some of these brands have gone off to sell for $200 million uh, after we hopefully helped them a little bit. So it's all about empowerment. You can, you can open up a store today from your cell phone and don't quit your day job. Just open a Shopify account. Now, how long should you go? I remember one point that you said it's something should click in six months. Is it, but how about if you really love it? Well, no, something should click in six months. You won't start seeing, you won't start feeling the rhythm of the business until three, four years. And you probably won't see major success until six or seven years. Most of the brands that we know out there that we've seen, their overnight success is still six, seven years. You start getting that rhythm. You get kicked down. You get kicked yeah. in your teeth. Then you come back. You move from this platform to another platform. And that's what I'm seeing. It's about six or seven years till you see real success. But it's about the first two to three years you start getting into your rhythm. And that's why the IRS lets you write it off after a certain amount as a hobby. Good point. Now, let me ask you about one that 
that I think I want to know if it's in your wheelhouse to tell me if it's right or not. Yeah. I, I, I had dinner with the guy who runs Beyond Meat. Mm-hmm. Ethan yesterday. Ten years. Ten years before Ten. it clicked. Yeah. Did he, did he do the right thing? Not just the stock, but is it is it something that's for real? I think it's for real. You do? I think it's for real. Yeah. First of all, I love it. You do? I do eat I do eat the product, and uh, I, I did not get onto the stock, to be very honest. A lot of people did. A lot of athletes got in. A lot of athletes got into yeah. it. But, you know, again, that's 10 years trying to. Trying to trying to get his groove, and now look at him. He's the he's the unicorn of the of the industry. He now. really is. Now there's a guy, uh, Fabrizio Freda. He's the CEO of Estee Lauder, and he's remarkable. He has a reverse mentor program. He's get uh, he, he makes a couple days a month. His employees, his executives, work for their assistants. Nice. Don't you think that's brilliant? My entire staff, most of them, started off as interns. Number one. Okay. And they are much smarter than me. And you know, listen. Here's where I see the separation. A lot of the people in power are 40 to 60. They're manufacturer distributors, whatever the case is. But the people communicating the consumers are 10 to 30, right? So if you right. start to realize right. how these kids are, how the new consumers come in, what do they want to know about their brands and how are they purchasing it? Once you get to know that, then you add the fundamentals of what you know into the current way they're doing. Become a new platform. You know, newspaper companies, the way they went out is the ones who thought they were only a newspaper company right. instead of a content right. creation company. Right. Or a media company, and they created another platform. They can't sell papers anymore, but they could have sold the content and the media. That's fantastic. All right, we can't have you leave because we all love Shark Tank. <laughs> Give us an insight on, on one of the companies that's really working, working like clicking. My, Give us a good my, feel. My, my best company is a company called Bombas Socks. They came on doing $800,000 a year. Now they've done, I think they're doing $100 million a year. They stayed focused on socks for four to five years. Now they're rolling out with T-shirts. And every time you buy a sock, they give one to the homeless and a person in need. And they've given away only, I think, almost 20 million pairs of socks so people feel good about buying them and they want to talk about them when they buy them. Impact per share. That's what we're talking about. Purpose. That's right. Purpose matters. Yeah. You are a hardcore, hardworking businessman, but you're not afraid. Purpose, Purpose is key. Is it. Purpose is it. Oh, you are the best. All right, that's the people shark, Damon John, who does so minor. Look, I'm just going to say it. He does more for charity than anyone who's watching the show and has helped more people start their own businesses and empowered them. Thank you so Thank much. You. It's Thank great you. to see you. Appreciate Stay it. with Kramer. It is. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Time the lightning round. I'm starting with Brian in Michigan. Brian. Booyah, yeah. Booyah, Brian. Yes, sir. I bought eBay stock back in January. Made about a 16% return so far. I don't want to be a pig and get slaughtered. What's your wisdom on You're this? You're not being a pig. You're going to own eBay. It's going much higher. They're splitting up. Bringing up that. He's doing better. This is not the level to sell eBay. Joe in Florida. Joe. Jim, first time caller. How are you? All right. Good to have you on the show, Joe. What's up? Jim, I'm uh, really excited about Cloudera. I'd like to hear your take well, on I, it. I, I, they, they, missed, they missed a bunch of quarters. I, I do not share your enthusiasm for that stock. It could bounce because it's so low, but they're in a no-fly zone for me. I need to go to Ashwin in California. Ashwin! Hey, Jim. How's it going? Up there, how are you? Good, thanks. Uh, thanks for all your insights. Uh, um, I had a question on uh, CDMS. 
cadence design systems? Uh, I like the quarter. I mean, it's, the stock sold down four. I, I don't know. Maybe this is one of the most up stocks from S&P uh, 2000 to 3000. But I, I like the quarter. I, I think computer design business is good business too. Let's go to Ethan in Louisiana. Ethan. All right, Jim. It's going to be a good old-fashioned Cajun for you out from Louisiana. Man, I was in Tarpon Rodeo this day last year. Let's go. All right, I wanted to hear what you think about the gene editing stock CRISPR therapeutics. I like the gene, se- gene sequencing. I think that is a very good spec. You have to understand, indeed, it is a spec, but I like it. I am going to Dennis in Michigan. Dennis. Jim, how's it going? It's a good day. How about you, Dennis? Hey, things are good. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, sure. So I'm in at about 39 and some change. I'm looking to add my physician, possibly with Pfizer. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that's just the kind of slow steady wins the race stock. I think everyone should have a Pfizer in their portfolio. Uh-uh. Let's go to Mike in Florida. Mike. Hey, Jim. This stock will not stop going down. What's your call on Moderna? I've been wrong. I sat down with the company in January. I thought that this was a really good biotech. I have been dead wrong, but I am not going to back away. What I like then, I like now. I, I, I can't help it. I think the company makes a lot of sense. Let's go to JT in Missouri. JT. Hey, Jimbo, how you doing? Uh, you know what? My wife's working tonight. I'm going to go over to the restaurant, say hello to her, have some fun. What's okay. going on with you? Well, first time caller. Uh, shout out to my brother, Harry. He turned Harry. me on to you. Harry, yeah. how you doing? Okay. Anyway. Tandem diabetes. I haven't heard you talk uh, about it. That's been stalled. I know. I like tandem diabetes. I like Dexcom. And I like Abbott Labs, 3Device, and Medtronics. That's all four. Ah. I gave this man a quadra header. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Whenever some big-time, big-name hedge fund manager comes on TV, starts warning you away from the market, basically say on some, let's say, long-term trends, I am urging you to be very skeptical. Let me give you an example. On January 22nd at the World Economic Forum at Davos, Ray Dalio, the legendary founder of Bridgewater Associates, a guy with a sensational track record, came out and he made some terrifying statements. One, he said the wealth gap in this country is far too wide. True. And will likely lead to a form of politics that will hurt stock prices. He argued much higher tax rates are coming if the Democrats win big next year. He pointed out the most left-wing Democrats are calling for a 70% top marginal tax rate, although only on the richest of the rich. He said capitalism just isn't working for most people. In the grand scheme of things, I think he's mostly right about the particulars. But was there a really good reason to sell stocks in 2019? I think it was a good reason to soul search, but it came out as a good reason to sell. Item two, Dalio noted that we're late in the economic cycle and we could be very close to a recession. The earnings tonight and this week and last week, not indicating that. Three, he argued that central banks can't really cut interest rates because they're already e- they've already eased, hasn't done much. He said this could be the cauldron that defines 2019 and 2020, the cauldron. Those arguments are all, well, let's say they sound pretty cogent. It was scary stuff, made you want to get rid of all the stocks you own, especially since Dalio is an acknowledged hedge fund genius. I am not being facetious. So on January 22nd, when he said these things with far more negative tidbits sprinkled in, he put the fear of God in you, or the wrath of Khan, earwig in the ear and all. He made you feel like a fool for owning stocks. As it turns out, though, that would have been a great time not to sell, but to buy. 
And when you look at Dahlia's flagship uh, fund at Bridgewater, its performance in the first half was reportedly down 4.9% down. And that's fine for him. He's already one of the richest men in the world. He will not miss it. But how about you? Dalio gave you some big picture reasons to be afraid. The economy was destined to slow down. Central banks like the Fed would be powerless to stop it. The fact is, though, those arguments were either wrong or they were irrelevant when they were made. Even if you were worried about what might happen in the 2020 election, that's not a reason to sell stocks in 2019, or sure, turned out not to be. Sure, we might get President Elizabeth Warren or President Bernie Sanders. Wall Street would hate that. But right now, the leading Democratic contender is Joe Biden, who's on record telling his donors that nothing would fundamentally change. If you own stocks, that's the message you want to hear. How about the recession fears? Look, we're now in an earnings season, and while there's been some slowing year over year, and that's definitely true, it's not that, that major, and many companies are still beating the estimates. Most are. As for central banks, Dahlia was dead wrong about us. Fed Chief Jay Powell changed his mind. He's now talking about cutting interest rates, which would boost both the economy and the stock market. When Dahlia spoke to Squawk Box at Davos, the benchmark 10-year Treasury was sporting a yield of about 2.75%. Now it's just above 2, meaning the competition for the bond market has dropped off dramatically. He didn't expect that. Look, I don't mean to pick on Dahlia. I respect his work. I respect this man. But his priorities as a guy with $18 billion, they're not your priorities. I'm simply saying that often these gurus, and I'm using him as an example, are full of sound and fury, signifying nothing, or at least nothing to do with the stock market, with your portfolio. Yet I think Dalio caught and amplified the zeitgeist, which scared a lot of people. But look, he, he was wrong. If you're already a billionaire and you're worried about a populist backlash against the wealthy, I say, fine, feel free to sell everything. Go buy gold. I don't care. I might be tempted myself. But uh, for the rest of us, we need to be very careful about believing these sweeping statements against the stock market. The worst thing about listening to so-called gurus, for all you know, Ray's changed his mind. He's got no obligation to share a strategy with the public. By all means, listen to these big, big-time money managers. Get your uh, head into what they're saying. Take them seriously. But acting on their advice, that's a sucker's game. So the next time you hear some hedge fund luminary warning you away from the stock market, remember that these guys are still human and they get it wrong all the time. If you want to manage your own money, you can't borrow someone else's worldview. You need to think for yourself. Otherwise, frankly, you might as well just stick your money in an index fund and forget about it. Stick with Kramer. I asked Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, what he thinks of Damon John. And I love what he said. He said, Damon is a terrific partner for Chase for Business, and our small business clients love hearing his advice and optimism at our conferences and events. I love hearing his advice and optimism, too. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.